And as we do every Tuesday, we join our good friend, Mr. Al Bat from somewhere near Heartland. Hey, good morning, Al. Are you quarantining in place with all the birds around there? Yeah, I guess I am. I have, uh, I've, I've been out of the house every day, but just haven't gone anywhere. Uh, I did, uh, go over to a neighbor to get a, um, a list of groceries so my wife is picking up a bunch of groceries for him so that's uh, she's got a hazmat suit on i think i'm not sure what all she had but she's got the mask and everything going i love okra so i love that song <laughs> i just oh you know and and i love it in all the ways that are not good for you i love it deep fried <laughs> it's just the best thing and i'm spending my morning uh putting on things like Zoom on my phone so I can uh, attend board meetings this week. I, I have three of them this week, and we're going to go with Zoom. I um, I don't know. I'm not the biggest fan of Zoom, but what do I know? It's just I've had not good experience in the past with it, but perhaps it's gotten much, much better now. I would hope that would be the case. Well, my husband, uh, who is a chemistry professor, they've been doing, they had meetings and conferences on the Zoom, too, and I guess it's worked okay. So I don't think, one thing I noticed, it doesn't flatter people, the way the camera looks at people. Everybody looks terrible. Yeah. It must be the lighting. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why I don't like it. I, I We used it uh, for... Uh, Oh, I'm a member of a, a board where we have members from Alaska to Georgia to California. And I don't know if it was just so many different kinds of phone lines coming in there, but it oh, it caused us to dance a bit and uh, stutter, and uh, it mm. was it was fun watching everybody kind of jump around when they weren't actually jumping around <laughs> until you were about a half hour in the meeting. Then it was kind of old, so. Maybe it's got a lot better. We use a lot of other tele, you know, free conferencing, and I don't know what all the names. I got more apps on my phone than I've ever had now, uh, just to keep adding these things to try to stay in touch with everybody. So another one of those changes. But, boy, you are right. Birds do enliven the yard. And uh, in early spring now, woodpeckers will be excavating nest cavities and dead trees. And it knows that it has this whole, H-O-L-E, life ahead of it. And a number of readers and listeners have already reported birds fighting with their mirrored images and windows. So mm -hmm. that's begun already. I'm guessing it's probably a cardinals and robins that are doing that and i think that's what happens when they take anger management classes online uh karen you were kind enough to send me a, a thing on when hummingbirds i look for them when they arrive back here i look for them the first week of may okay uh, like may day i start looking for orioles and and hummingbirds i know a friend sent me a thing he lives up in northern minnesota and he said about May 12th, he starts looking for them up there. He doesn't always see them, but that's when he starts looking for them. And I guess that's kind of the case me here. I visited with Ann Wick. I'm getting to talk to all kinds of people uh, on on the phone. People are calling that uh, you didn't normally talk so much with because you saw each other here and there mm -hmm. and now uh, getting these calls i uh, visit with ann wick of she's from black earth wisconsin which is by madison and she monitors 150 bluebird boxes each year 
And this is the incredible part. She's banded over 12,000 bluebirds oh in 24 years. Banded over 12,000. That is just, I, I, I can't even imagine that. It's just incredible. So I appreciate Anne. Uh, I appreciate Paul Schwab, too. Been a friend of Paul's for a long time, and I'm just lucky that he keeps me in that club. He's from Oatana, and he sent this uh, about Kent Vale. Or Ken Vale, I'm sorry. I know Ken, and I I, miss Bert, I added T to his name. I wanted to just add something to him because uh, things should be added. Ken's a wonderful, was a wonderful fella. Ken Vale of Illinois, formerly of Oatana. He had a gift for finding snowy owls in southern Minnesota. I've talked often about him on the radio. Um, he all of a sudden, there's six snowy owls in a square mile, and then there's uh, 12 snowy owls in the area, and Ken's the one that was finding all those in the Oatana area. And Paul uh, sadly sent me his uh, Ken's obituary, Aww. and it said in the obituary that Ken died surrounded by loved ones and bird song. Aww. It added... He took regular hikes and rarely went anywhere without his binoculars, even the grocery store. As all birders know, one never can tell where the next lifer will appear. And his photo in the obituary, guess what? It had binoculars hanging Aww. around his neck. So it's uh, we'll miss Ken. Uh, Charles St. Charles of Michigan wrote, You say that the black-capped chickadee whistles Phoebe, but I hear something different. Maybe it's because I cheerfully feed so many of them throughout the year that what I hear is, feed me. <laughs> the next time you're out talking to the chickadees at your feeder, see if they aren't saying the same thing to you this spring. Uh, Charles, one of them just said that to me this morning, so you are right. Uh, Benita Underbaki of Lanesboro and Harvey Benson of Harmony, and uh, there are a couple more that I'm just happy to be in their friends club, uh, gave me a book titled Bird Count for my birthday, and it tells the tale of a Christmas bird count led by Big Al. So it's, it's pretty nice getting that. Uh, I was, before all this uh, quarantine and uh, all the heavily social distancing and flattening the curve and everything really hit, I was in Kearney, Nebraska, trying to see all of the 600,000 sandhill cranes, maybe 700,000, some of the reports say now, gathered along the Platte River. None nest in Nebraska, but some do in Minnesota. And how do the big birds find their way to Nebraska each year? Well, they wing it. The Platte River used to be described as being a mile wide and an inch thick. But it has changed over time, as have many or most of our waterways. The voice of a sandhill crane can be heard two and a half miles away. Wow. Two and a half miles. And as they age, they turn grayer and they turn bald. So the red crown is skin, and it's acquired during their first year. Uh, someone asked, well, they hunt them in a number of states. They figure about 50,000 are taken during hunting seasons in various states. There is a crane cam set up. It's at Roe Audubon Sanctuary, Roe Sanctuary Audubon. If you go to audubon.org or roe.audubon, you're going to find it. And it's a crane cam, and I have been there uh, both in the evenings and in the morning. 
This year, it seems like the evenings are just breathtaking. When the, you see the cranes coming in at sunset, there's fire behind them, and it's a, a wonderful thing. Uh, Dan Kelly, who uh, Dan is a great guy, uh, was an editor at the St. Paul Pioneer Press and had to put up with my writings for... Uh, He's just suffered more than any man should, I think, just from that alone. Uh, sent me some photos. Uh, one was of a cooper's hawk, and one was a, a beautiful house fence just teed up on top of an evergreen. Uh, Steve Kirkhorn said, I had a northern flicker at my suet feeder on Saturday. In the 25 years I've been doing the Cornell bird feeder counts in five different residences, this is the first time I've had one at my feeder. Keith Carlson said, heard, then saw a flock of tundra swans flying low under the overcast and to the north on Monday morning. On Sunday afternoon, I'd heard red-winged blackbirds. Brenda Katasik, what a wonderful lady Brenda is. She said, I've been watching 10 to 12 eagle nests within about 30 miles of my home, several within a few miles, have eagles circling my yard almost daily now. Uh, Don Grusing said the colony of ring-billed gulls, which for years nested on the roof of a commercial building in Hopkins, has returned. Unfortunately, the building has been torn down. The gulls are spaced out on the ground where the building used to stand. Oh, mm. man. Poor things are there, and they're it'd be like us coming home from uh, oh, a two weeks vacation in the lower Rio Grande Valley, and our, our house is gone. I guess we'd make some phone calls, and then we'd probably <laughs> just kind of stand and sit around where our house used to be. Uh, Richard Becker said several red-winged blackbirds and a couple of common grackles, a few patches of open water with mallards and Canada geese, and one with a great blue heron sitting in it, a few ring-billed gulls on the ice, and a wild turkey under the feeders. Paul Peters, Paul lives uh, in Ceylon. He said many wood ducks this year, and he had a coyote going right on the edge of his yard. Uh, Kent Gernander said, Hi, Al, this morning I finally saw a red-headed woodpecker. I believe it was a juvenile, as its head was rather dull red, and its size was a bit smaller than a hairy, which fits the information in my bird book. It was at my feeder and then flew into the woods. Now I hope it will return for a photo, but at least it gave me a sighting. As I've told you before, we have lots of downies, hairies, and red bellies, and an occasional pil pileated, but this was my first sighting of a red-headed woodpecker. Oh, that is that is wonderful, Kent. I, I think they're just one of our most beautiful of birds. Uh, Peggy Swenson of Albert Lee said, It's hard to get anything done this morning because we've been watching two pileated woodpeckers snooping around in the bur oak trees in the front yard. We see one several times a year, but this is the first time we have seen a pair is romance in the air. I have no doubt that it is, Peggy. Leon Schoenrock of New Richland said, I was driving somewhere with my 16-year-old son, and I saw an eagle on a pole. I pointed it out to him. He didn't even look up from his phone because they are, the eagles are everywhere now. So we've come a long ways in the eagle population department, but I think the staring in the phone thing is not progress. Well, thanks, Leon. There's, there's probably uh, quite a few moms and dads uh, feel that way. I know there's a whole ton of grandpa and grandpas feel that way. Uh, Jeff Stevenson 
said, my fishing friend has a home in Florida, and he was out fishing 20 miles into the Gulf of Mexico, and this bird decided to stop and rest on his boat. He said it flew after about an hour on the boat. He has me keep a life list for him, even though he isn't a birder. That's what I need, is somebody to keep the list for me. I'd, oh, I love birding. I don't like keeping lists. I don't know what there's about it. I, I think it's because I make that, every night I make that list of things to do for the next day, so maybe maybe that's part of the reason. But anyway, Jeff said now his friend has a northern parallel on his, on his birding list without being a birder at all. He's got that. Uh, Ray Faber said red-winged blackbirds have arrived and several flocks of tundra swans were heard flying over our place near Ridgeway. Uh, that'd be south of Winona. Uh, ice on the Mississippi is breaking up, attracting large numbers of bald eagles feeding on winter-killed fish. So go outside and take off clothes to let the sun convert the cholesterol in your skin to vitamin D to banish the hated COVID-19 stay healthy. Am I supposed to say COVID-19 or I've heard so many different ways. What, how do you guys say it there? Have you received any instruction, Karen? No, you know, to... I've kind of been going back and forth because I think the coronavirus is the thing that causes it. And I think COVID-19 is, isn't that like when you get the illness? So coronavirus causes COVID-19? That's kind of what I thought. So I just use them interchangeably. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I know there's a lot of different kinds of coronaviruses. Yes. And it's it's all, oh. And speaking of great folks, Dean Musing said, thought you might like to see this colorful green jay that I spotted close to Brownsville, Texas at a bird sanctuary. Also saw some plain chachalacas, very skittish birds. And this is Al uh, putting, interjecting this. Yeah, and they sing their name, sort of, chachalaca, chachalaca. Are you very, sure it's not noisy. la cucaracha, la cucaracha? <laughs> kind of like that. <laughs> yes. Uh, back to Dean. He said, we were fortunate enough to view from a blind setup for viewing. We we're getting closer to seeing more species in our area. Yay. I had to share this photo. A friend, Mary Walchuk, took on her father's residence on Fish Lake near Elysian, Minnesota, what a great picture of a magnificent bird, and it was a sandhill crane, and it was a beauty. So, yeah, green jay and a sandhill crane, wonderful photos, Dean. Thank you very much. And Fish Lake, that was where they released the uh, common loons. We're trying to uh, reestablish a loon population in southern Minnesota, and they released those, and I, I really don't know how they've done uh, Erica Foreman said along Highway 13 on the west side of the road by Waterville, there's open water and probably around 100 mergansers, hooded and common, and a dozen or so cormorants. Christopher Burke said his sister in Rushford saw four bluebirds checking out nesting boxes. I have not seen any uh, in my yard or at the farm here, So, but uh, they should be any day. Uh, Chad Hines saw a brewer's blackbird and a vesper sparrow in Blue Earth County. Ronald Erpelding saw a long-tailed duck in Rice County. So, uh, And a lot of uh, books and old books will have different names for the long-tailed duck, but they are... Oh, 
They're just incredible book, uh, birds. Um, my uncle, this is a question from a listener, said, my uncle said pigeons produce milk. My mother says he is nuts hmm. Izzy. Well, yeah, we, you know, a lot of uncles <laughs> get that. I'm an uncle, and uh, it's passed down to the next generation that I think most uncles are considered nuts for. I don't know why that is, uh, just because it might be true, but other than that. Male and female pigeons, both male and female pigeons, and doves produce crop milk for their young. And the crop is a structure at the base of a bird's neck, and it's used to store and moisten food before digestion. just helps the digestion process. Shortly before a pigeon eggs hatch, I think it's like two days maybe before they hatch, both the parents' crops become, they become engorged with these fluid-filled cells, and they regurgitate this milky goop into the mouths of their squabs. And this crop milk remains the squab's only food for several days after hatching. Crop milk is extremely rich in proteins and fats. Uh, flamingos and emperor penguins also produce crop milk. And if I'm remembering correctly, I think it's just the male emperor penguin that does that. So as far as uh, your uncle being nuts, I, I really can't say on that. I would guess he's an uncle. Uh, I'd say he probably is. I just think most of us are. Uh, thanks for KMSU. Well, yeah, Aww. like I had anything to do with KMSU. I mean, it's, uh, I think there were a lot that went before me and probably had uh, much to do with the formation. Do you know whose whose idea it was? Is it credited to anybody, Karen? What the that KMSU starting? Whose wild well, hair was it? Somebody? Well, you know, I know the father of KMSU is John Hodewanik. Um, but I think it might have been some students way back kind of wanted to get together, and they started with 10 watts. So this is, uh, let's see, at 20, when it was 2013, it was our 50th anniversary. So whatever that, what does that make it today? 50, 13? Anyway, but <laughs> use doodle math. But yeah, and then a guy named John Hodewanik kind of got it going and, and uh, made it what it is today and got it more power and from just 10 watts. They went to 100 watts, and now we're 20,000 watts. So... Yeah, and uh, he, his sons are alum here, and they actually established a scholarship in his name here for students that are interested in going into broadcasting. So, yeah, he was a, he's a cool guy that uh, he also introduced Russian language on KMSU where he would get these tapes and they would actually play them on the air so people could learn Russian. Wow. Yeah, interesting, I, huh? I John Hodawanik. Yeah, he did not know that. The well, father of, of KMSU, we call him, and uh, he was the assistant to, I think it was President Nickerson at the time. This is, you know, quite a few years back, and he was the, the his assistant. But he also had worked in the service doing uh, radio stuff, so he had kind of the chops for, for doing some of this. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of a cool history, and uh, it's really neat to stay in touch with his sons and, and his sister, like I said, who established a, a great scholarship to help our students here who want to go into broadcasting. Nice, and it's not a. His birthday is not a national holiday. It I, should be. <laughs> we need a national holiday in March, I think. So. Yeah. Well, somebody who said thanks for KMSU. Yes. And said, "How old is the oldest duck you've ever seen?" 
And I had no trouble coming up with the answer to that. It's Donald Duck. He hatched on, according to Disney, he hatched on June 9th, 1934. So without a doubt, Donald Duck is the oldest duck I've ever seen. Some of you might be saying, well, what about Daffy Duck? (laughs) Uh, Daffy hatched on April 17th, 1937. So he's almost, not quite three years younger than Donald. So it's a a great question. We can start listening for the high-pitched peep of the spring peeper, which is a tiny little frog. It has a distinct dark X on its back, and it can be heard a mile away. Are they out yet? Are they out yet or not? I have not. No, I've not heard any, but you know, as soon as I say, oh, I'll be walking at the state park, which, folks, it's a, a great place to walk, some of these parks, yet it's still, uh, there is such a thing as cabin fever. Uh, you just need to get out and hike around, and it won't be long before we'll be hearing these peeps, and they can be, you'll hear one peep, and then it seems like you're hearing a million peeps. And we'll also hear this long creak sound as if a fingernail is being dragged across the teeth of a comb, mm-hmm. and that's made by the western chorus frog. Oh. Uh, again, these peeps of a spring peeper, folks say a mile away you can hear these. Remember I said the sandhill crane is two and a half miles away, and we are seeing sandhill cranes around here now. Uh, woodcock males, uh, they're also called timber doodles, bog suckers, they've got more names. They are dancing at this time of year. Tundra swans is a Uh, Ray Faber mentioned they're migrating through on their way to breeding grounds in the Arctic tundra. And I've been reading, I don't know how many books, um, I'm finishing off, I'm one of those guys that always has like nine books going at the same time, so I, I have one in the car and one in the bedroom and one on my desk and just keep plugging away. And I've been reading this from, it's called The Big Wonderful Thing, A History of Texas. And it's by Stephen Harrigan, and it's about Texas Governor James Hogg, H-O-G-G, who I had a daughter that he named Ima. Um, oh, gosh, well, if your last name is Hogg, why would you name your daughter <laughs> Ima? It's just, they, he should have... That's not real. Cons- Did you make that up? No, he should have consulted <laughs> oh with somebody and said, I'm thinking of naming my daughter I'm and somebody would have grabbed him and said, No, no, you just need to sit down, shut up and don't don't even mention this to your wife. And well the book there's a, a paragraph from it that I got a kick out of. There was a number of them, but one it said he was in a state of deep despondency until one day while walking alone in the woods, he heard the song of a mockingbird. He was probably not the first Texan to feel restored to life by the piercing, ricocheting musicality of Mimas polyglottus. No doubt part of the reason it became the Texas state bird, although this was probably in 1869. Uh, so it didn't become the state bird till 1927. The legislature declared uh, that the mockingbird is a singer of distinctive type, a fighter for the protection of his home, falling if need be in its defense, like any true Texan. So the uh, it's an interesting. Um, again, it was 1869. He'd been shot. He'd helped bring some bad guys uh, into 
in for justice and somebody shot him so that's why he was despondent but it's uh it, it's an interesting book especially if you spent time in texas uh, the big wonderful thing a history of texas and uh governor james hogg h-o-g-g so i highly recommend that Somebody, I was looking at prairie dogs, and I mentioned prairie dogs on one show, and somebody said, what good are prairie dogs? Well, in addition to provide... Oh, man, (laughs) they're they're so cute. cute. And there's a, uh, the Navajo believe they prayed for rain for the Navajo, because in the morning, the little prairie dog will come out and slap his paws together. Some people call them prayer dogs. And... uh, in the evening, before they go into their burrows, their tunnels to sleep, they do the same thing. And But in a, other than praying for rain, in addition to providing food and shelter for associated species, so they make these tunnels that other critters can live in, prairie dog burrows will enrich the soil. They improve vegetative quality by aerating the soil and allowing water to flow underground. Uh, prairie dog activities increase and diversify the composition of grasses and forbs within their colonies, creating habitat favored by other wildlife. And their long-term use of a grassland appears to promote short perennial grasses. So some scientists say their constant clipping of things makes a better pasture, and uh, there's all kinds of argument whether prairie dogs are good or bad. Do they like to eat hosta and other garden plants, though? Because if they don't, then I don't mind them. (laughs) I don't think so. You know, I was in... We were in, uh, oh gosh, I don't know where exactly that prairie dog had been, somewhere in the Minden, Nebraska area, and there was a big prairie dog um, settlement or colony out there, and it's it's just fun to see them. They're such cute, as you say, they're just cute little guys, <laughs> and they are wonderful family um Mammals. They just, uh, family is a very important thing to them. And anything called a prayer dog is just hard to find any animosity towards them. They're wonderful, wonderful little critters. Do you know if you drive out to, you know, South Dakota and go in the Badlands and back in their, I don't know, the park there, you can see tons of them? I used to be able to go to Fairmont and see them. Oh, really? They're not, yeah, they're not there anymore. They had them, unless they, uh, Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, unless they moved them somewhere. They had them in kind of a concrete area, and you could stop and look down, and there they were. And it was cute to see them. They're just fun to watch. And that was all changed. Uh, and, again, boy, somebody let me know if they moved them somewhere else because I stopped there, and I'm, I miss seeing them. I hope everyone is uh, being well and uh, having a good life. And, uh, you know, we keep hearing this too shall pass, and sadly that's not in the Scripture anywhere, but it's still a a great thing. We all say it as though it came from the Bible, but uh, it's still true in most most cases. So I I just hope everyone stays well. We need you all. And uh, have fun. As I say, I went over to see a good neighbor here because he wasn't getting out and he needed some food. So it was my wife's suggestion because wives are so much nicer than husbands generally. (laughs) And she said, you go over there, talk to Bruce, and see what he needs. 
and I will go down and get it. So uh, being a dutiful husband, I went over there, and then, of course, we had to, we we social distance, but we had a nice <laughs> long talk anyway. You so know, that's a great idea for, for something people can do. For people maybe who are stuck at home or maybe don't drive or are, are older or something, what a great thing just to reach out and do that. I mean, if more people could do that, it would certainly help keep other people out of the stores who maybe are more vulnerable. So, yeah, do what Al, do what Al's wife says. I think it's a great yeah, idea. Yeah, and uh, Bruce, a wonderful guy, he comes out with money in his paw, you know. And Aww. I said, you don't have, and he said, you know, pretty much you're taking this money or else. So I uh, walked with it, and uh, he's just, uh, just a wonderful guy. I hope everybody has found a, a cafe where they can go and knock on the door like a speakeasy, and you can say, uh, Guido sent me. You know, they slide open that little thing, and then they give you food. And I hope you've all found a place like that where you can go and just get food. And uh, it helps, you know, uh, just get something different once in a while. I'm hearing th- would, today, did you know that that's, there's some restaurants call this um, support your, your local uh, restaurant workers by, by ordering delivery and takeout if you can today? I saw that on the Internet where, where they were saying that oh, it's a good nice. way to support because there are still a lot of restaurants who are making food and available for takeout, and so there was kind of a call to help those folks out by making Tuesday today uh, national takeout or carryout food. So if you can, I guess it's a great way to support your local folks who maybe aren't working right now. We have a wonderful restaurant uh, in New Richland. It's called the Red Leaf, and uh, it's kind of you call in, and then you, you stop by, and boom, there's your food, and uh, it's a a battle. I I know that two guys each gave $500 to that restaurant, and I won't mention their names or anything because they're humble fellas, but to that restaurant to help them make it through. And I know another good friend just dropped off $50. He didn't want anything to eat. He just wanted to give them $50 to help them make through. And it just, uh, boy, it just makes makes you feel pretty good to be a human. I was uh, out in uh, driving in Nebraska trying to make it home because this had all hit while I was out there. And we got a mess of weather. And as Ricky Ricardo, played by Desi Arnaz, <laughs> and I love Lucy, said, ay, 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 ay. But the remains of a melting snowman tipped over, and I hope that was the last snowfall of the season. I spoke at a couple things, uh, taught a seminar, led a bus trip. We had two buses, big buses, in uh, Kearney, Nebraska, around the time of my birthday. And my birthday's on St. Urho's Day. The legend of St. Urho originated in northern Minnesota in the 50s. And the myth has grown among North Americans of Finnish descent to where St. Urho is known and celebrated across the U.S., Canada, and Finland. And St. Urho's Day is celebrated on March 16th, the day before St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick is said to have driven the snakes from Ireland, and St. Urho was to have chased the grasshoppers from Finland, thus saving the grape crop. And he did this by uttering a phrase that roughly translated as, grasshopper, grasshopper, go away. And he celebrated by wearing, uh, we talked about it last week, royal purple and Nile green colors. And there's a statue of St. Urho holding a pitchfork with a grasshopper impaled on it in the cities of Monaga and Finland in Minnesota. 
I I spoke of the thing and I made a jocular crack about the lack of deserted dinner and I knew why we didn't because it was they charged a lot for it and on the bus as I was leading I found a Twinkie in my breakfast bag and it was surprisingly good and at lunch in a smart hotel friends served me two Twinkies with birthday candles aflame then one by one other friends walked to my table and each gave me a Twinkie or two. <laughs> They placed some in my shirt pockets. They piled them in front of me. They took photos. My wife said she'd never seen me eat a Twinkie, ever. (laughs) I devoured a few when I was a lad. It was required. But I'll be able to survive the dark, cold nights of Sprinter, that spring with a lot of winter in it, because I have Twinkies to eat. I'll drive the Twinkies out of my house by eating them. The mythical St. Urho should have eaten the grasshoppers, as they're still found in Finland. And I share a birthday with our fourth president, James Madison, who said things like, Who does not see that the same authority which can establish Christianity and exclusion of all other religions may establish with the same ease any particular sect of Christians in exclusion of all other sects? James Madison, St. Urho. Twinkies and I will abide. Remember, heartless, while we're driving past, do something wild today. You know, step outside, look at a bird, Doug. Stop at every window as you're walking along and see what you see out there. And you can keep uh, your distance for- outside too. Hey, before you go, I wanted to say I just got a, a, a text from a, her name is Deb, and she says the Sibley Park used to have a big prairie dog pen, and not that long ago, my kids are in their early 30s, and we took them here when they were little and I remembered seeing those too so uh, they're not there anymore unfortunately but yeah those little buggers I, I wonder how they kept them from digging out and they'd put concrete deep down into the ground oh. I think is what they did in Fairmont and yeah Deb thanks boy I I, I remember the one in Sibley too although I didn't uh, a minute or two ago but thanks very much yeah that was it was just fun and and we certainly took kids to those places, too, and and said, look at that. <laughs> and instead of having to listen to Dad, they could look at things. So, yeah, thank you very much. And, Karen, thank you very much. Uh, you make uh, everything we're going through uh, much easier. Well, thank you, Al. It's always great to talk with you. And like you said, go out and watch a bird. You can keep your social distance and enjoy nature. Thanks, Karen. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, Al Bat talking about some ways he's uh, reaching out, actually his wife's ideas to reach out to help neighbors in need. And the United Way also has uh, some ways that it's reaching out to our communities to help people in need. And they're talking about ways that you can help as well, or if you need help, that there are options. So I did an interview with Barb Kaus yesterday.